Christmas season, I want to begin with a, a question. What is some of your best Christmas traditions that you have? Give me. Watching the Grinch, which one, the old cartoon one or the newer funny one? Uh, we haven't decided that yet. You haven't decided? Well, you need to watch the one with Jim Carrey. That one's hilarious. <laughs> um, homemade rice crispy peppermint treats. Well, that does sound good. We expect some next week out here. So, thank you, Coles. Any other traditions? What? Right up here. Being the Grinch. Being the Grinch? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, every year we make, a, um, we make a garland for the tree. Okay. Yeah, and whatever materials we have on hand, we make it That's year. fun. Yeah. You ever use popcorn? Um, no, because we keep them for the next year. Oh. There's mice in the shed, so. <laughs> <laughs> mice in the shed. No, po- that's, that's fun. Yeah. So we all have these traditions, and what's really cool, so if you're newer, we have a a location, a a common ground now in Minden also. That's why we have so much space available here. We need more chairs. But um, what that means is my family is down there, so I can say whatever I want now, (laughs) and they don't hear it. But, But so for me, I love Christmas. I pretend I don't at home because if I do, it just goes. You know what I mean? Like you give in a little and then it goes and goes and goes. So I have to hold it all back by pretending I don't like it, but I love it. I love traditions. <laughs> I, don't tell Callie. Um, but, but yeah, making, you know, we used to make those, those rings, you know, with the construction paper and drape that along and that's a lot of fun. But all those traditions are part of this time of year. And so we're all gearing up and looking forward to that. But I would ask, how about the Christmas story? And I'm not talking the night was the night before Christmas. I'm talking the story of, of Jesus being born. Is that one of your traditions? And, and if so, you know, when, where does that fit in, in the traditions of Christmas? I know sometimes we've read it on Christmas Eve. Um, we'll open up normally pajamas. That's another tradition that my parents will give us pajamas. And so I get new pajamas every year and all the kids do. And then we put them on and we can read the, the Christmas story. Or sometimes, I made this mistake, we're going to do it in the morning before opening presents. And if you have little kids, that's a horrible idea. Because um, really, they just want to open the presents at, at the moment. So, But th- that story, is it just a tradition? Or is it the life-changing, uh, you know, hallelujah story that it is? I love that song, hallelujah. Ever smash your finger? What do you say? <laughs> but but you, you let out, you know, a scream. Ah! What do you do when you just, I just want to worship. I don't have the words to say. I love hallelujah. That's that word. I don't know what else to say except God, you're amazing. You're glorious. You're worthy of all praise. You sent your son. What do I say? Hallelujah. So I love that song because we're just saying it over and over. Praise be to you. Praise be to you when you don't know the words to say. Does the Christmas story drive you to scream, hallelujah? Or is it just part of the tradition of Christmas along with Black Friday shopping and Cyber Monday shopping and then returning everything after? All of those things. So I wanted to start off a series. So we have a a series we're starting today, continuing it next Sunday, and then Christmas Eve is also part of this series. But bring people to Christmas Eve. That's a chance for people to say yes and come hear the gospel. But the the series we're in is called The Gifts of Christmas. 
That's why we have these very beautiful wrapped gifts up here. Thank you, Kate. Um, the gifts of Christmas. And I wanted to start today with the Christmas story. The gift of the Son. And I want us to dwell on this story. And we're, there's actually a lot of deep theological truths in this. And we're not going to pull on all of them. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to tell you right up front, here's my goal. Here's what God has done for me preparing this. That at the end of this, we all sing hallelujah. I don't think we're singing it again. But, but, but our response would be worship. That's been our prayer. That's my prayer every week. That the Holy Spirit will be present with us. And that it will drive us to where we're supposed to be, which is worshiping God. That's what you were made for. If you didn't know that, God didn't make you or create you so you could do a lot of stuff for him. He created you simply to worship him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Father, thank you for sending your son. Holy Spirit, thank you for empowering the son and empowering us and living in us. Thank you for this story, this true story. I, I, I ask that this story we're going to look at, Jesus, of you coming and being born, that this wouldn't just be another story. It wouldn't be just part of the tradition of Christmas, but it would be the whole point of Christmas, that we would truly worship. I know for me at times this season gets busy and I get wrapped up in the concerts and the, the rapping and all those things. But God, I, I ask that, that this Christmas season, I and the rest of us would be able to step back, slow down a little bit, be still and know that you are God and worship in thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. So look with me, Matthew 1, we're going to start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to look at this story and pull out some things that maybe we take for granted, or maybe... We, we ignore completely as myth, as legend, as just the Christmas story. But the first part, have you ever really thought about this story? So Joseph and Mary, young, Mary's probably a little bit younger than Joseph, just the way things work. But they're young. She's probably a teenager. She's a godly young woman who, who loves the Lord. And they're betrothed. They're engaged. Now, engaged for them was a little more serious than engaged for us. You know, for him to divorce her would have been, you know, 
it would have taken some work to do the divorce. Um, it would have been called actually a divorce. So they were betrothed. They were going to get married. They were promised to one another, but they hadn't consummated the marriage yet because they hadn't done the actual thing. And then uh, here comes Mary. And, and you see here in the, the picture, um, verse 18, halfway through it says, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So it looks like Joseph didn't even maybe know until she started to show and went, sup. <laughs> you, you know, how did that go? Or Mary, Mary comes and Joseph, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. Huh. And so Joseph, being a godly man and smart, does the math and goes, we probably can't get married then because, well, you've been unfaithful. And so he goes to sleep after planning to divorce her quietly. I, I mean, a public shaming would have been in his rights, and that's something that some might actually do in that time in a big public divorce, um, but that's not what he did because he's a godly man too. I mean, look at who God chose to put his son in, in that family. So she's godly. He's so godly, he's wrong that he's going to do it silently, but then he receives a, a dream. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, here's what's actually happening. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so he, being a godly man, doesn't divorce her. And we know the rest of the story, how they go to Bethlehem and the baby's born. But what's up with that? She was a virgin. Now, I've read the commentaries. I've read the thing saying virgin doesn't actually mean virgin. It just means a young woman. And she wasn't actually a virgin. And well, no, she was. That's not just church tradition. Mary was a virgin. She had never been with a man. And the Bible says that Joseph didn't know her. They got married, but he didn't know her in that way. They didn't consummate the marriage till after Jesus was born. So there's other traditions that say Mary was a, a virgin forever. And that's not true because Jesus had brothers and sisters. Uh, James wrote the book of James. That's his half-brother, son of Mary. Uh, uh, others wrote pieces of the New Testament. So again, that's just one of those traditions that's not true. But what is true is Mary was a virgin, and Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, we might take that for granted, but who cares? Why does that matter? It's actually a really, really big deal that we believe and that we celebrate Mary being a virgin mother. So this is, if you're a note taker, Mary was a virgin until after Jesus was born. What does that say about Jesus? You know, we can really get deep theologically here and look all over Scripture, but what does that mean that Jesus did not have a human father? He didn't have a human father. It means he was not born into sin the way we are born into sin. The Bible is very clear that since Adam and Eve sinned, every child born of, of man and woman is born into sin. So, kids, when you were born, you were born a sinner. You were born separated from God. Anybody ever have to teach their kids to lie, hit, cry? You know, we're, we're born sinners. Jesus, the son of God, was not born with a sin nature like we had. That's very important. Jesus, the son of Mary, the son of God, what does that say about him? Jesus is deity. Jesus is deity. Now, for some of us, this may sound very basic, but this is the stuff that was debated in the early church for a couple hundred years, even today some. Was Jesus fully God? Was Jesus fully man? Some would reject his deity, saying, no, he was a prophet, he was a good man. Some would reject his humanity, saying, no, he wasn't fully human. But here, the fact that he was born to a virgin, 
tells us that Jesus is deity. Later on, in John 8, 58, Jesus would say this to a crowd. He would say, before Abraham was born, I am. Abraham had been dead for 2,000 years. And Jesus is saying, before Abraham, I am. Not I was, not I existed, but I am. So Jesus claimed to be before Abraham. And as he claimed that, the way it's phrased is actually, before Abraham, I was continually being. He always was. And even that where he says, before Abraham was born, I am, that is the personal name of God, Yahweh. Before Abraham was born, I am, and I am equal with God. I am God. So Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus is eternal. Let's look at John 1, 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. But John 1, John was probably the last gospel written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John, it's not like he's filling in some holes, but he's really highlighting the identity of Jesus as God. And so he gives us some really beautiful in-depth picture of Jesus says John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it Jesus is the Word. And as you read on in John 1, 1, Jesus is this Word. It says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus existed in the beginning. So if you were to turn to Genesis and you would read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then it goes through that beautiful story of Him speaking, whose voice was that? That was Jesus' voice. That was Jesus that spoke and created the birds Jesus that spoke and created man. Jesus that, that took the dust and breathed into it the life to make Adam. That was Jesus. He created. He was in the beginning forever and ever and ever. He is declared in the most express manner possible to be all that God is, to possess the whole fullness of attributes which make God God. That's the theologian B.B. Warfield. He is God. Remember when the shepherds were up in the hill and an angel appeared and he said, hey, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord and we will call him Emmanuel. We just sang a song, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God with us. Again, why, why is it necessary that Jesus is God? Can we reject that little piece of Christian doctrine and theology? Can we reject Jesus' divinity? We can't. Because if Jesus wasn't God, then one, he's a liar because he claimed to be God. And all the other writers in the New Testament are, li are liars because they declare Jesus to be God, meaning we can't believe the Bible at all. If Jesus is not God, we can throw all of this out. And if Jesus is not God, then he didn't do what he said he came to do. He didn't do what we believe he did, meaning you're still in your sins and you're destined for hell if Jesus isn't God. Paul N. says it this way, the virgin birth 
was the means whereby the incarnation, that is God in human form, took place and guaranteed the sinlessness of the Son of God. Jesus had to be deity because he was sinless. He never sinned. And because he never sinned, he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He could be the unblemished lamb that died for us. You ever thought about what your sin has created in terms of debt? We know the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages is what you earn. We have earned death. Your sin, just think about your sin. Say you had a ledger. <laughs> we, thank goodness there isn't some weight ledger. But every sin is written down and listed out, and then you have to pay that bill. Could you ever pay that bill? We know clearly it's impossible. How about the bill for 60 billion people? I did a search. How many humans have ever lived? They estimate 60 billion. They're probably way wrong. But imagine 60 billion people and their sin debt. Could any human, no matter how good they are, pay that debt? Only God could pay that debt. So Jesus had to be God because he came to set us free from sin. The virgin birth is necessary for Jesus to be deity so he could do what he came to do. Because of his deity, Jesus' death had infinite value. Infinite value. So, Jesus' deity. But was Jesus fully human then? We could say, okay, and, and this was something that went through the early church. Jesus was God, but he only looked human. He wasn't actually human. Well, was he? Well, Jesus, although he's often referred to as the Son of God, is also referred to as the Son of Man. And in the Old Testament, one of the names for the Messiah who would come is the Son of Man. Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. It was a little bit safer than calling himself the Son of God. But he would call himself the Son of Man, pointing to his humanity. So Mary was conceived. You know, she conceived by the Holy Spirit. She was pregnant. Her labor and all that went with it was just like any other labor. I mean, you'd like to think, well, it was Jesus. It was God. It just, everything was, it was a real, real birth. And it happened in a stable. True story. Not just something you put on your dresser to, to celebrate. He was born in a stable. So his birth was a very, very real birth. And his growth was a real growth. And we don't fully understand that. I, I sure don't. But the Bible talks about it, that, that Jesus grew. He grew physically. He had to learn how to walk at some point. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. He grew intellectually. He grew. Jesus was tired. We see spots where he's weary. When he talked to the woman at the well, he sat down because he was weary. And he was thirsty, so he asked for a drink. He slept. Remember the storm? And he's in the boat, and he's still sleeping. He was human. He was zonked. He was tired. At times he wept. He got angry. He was human. John 1.14 says, The word that referred to in John 1.1, 1, 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only, the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. That word flesh means flesh. <laughs> it means the body and all the weaknesses that come with it. Now, a lot of times, especially when Paul writes in Romans and Ephesians, it uses this same word flesh, referring to us in our frailty, including sin. 
with Jesus, it does not include sin because Jesus was sinless, but includes the body with all the other limitations. Tired, sick, eventually able to die. Jesus is fully human. Why does he have to be human? Have you thought about that? Maybe he was God, but he wasn't actually human. As you read through the New Testament, you see some reasons why he needs to be human. If he was going to stand for humanity, he had to be human. Jesus had to a man if he was to represent fallen humanity. Jesus had to be a real man to die for humanity. One of the great things about being a Christian, about being a Jesus follower, is we have Jesus interceding for us. We have Jesus who we can call upon at any time because he knows what we're going through. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus experienced everything we experience, all the temptations. Now, I'm going to be totally honest. There have been times in my life where I've thought, okay, Jesus, God in flesh, he wasn't actually tempted. I mean, he, he can't really understand the temptations that I have because he never sinned. But then I, I read this years ago. Think about this. When is temptation the hardest? When you don't give in, right? When is temptation the easiest? When you just give in right away and the temptation's done and you're just on to the sin. So Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet never sinned, meaning he felt the full weight of every temptation from beginning to end and didn't give in. That's kind of a cool picture of Jesus so he can relate to you. Not only can he relate to our weakness and all that it is and our temptation to sin, yet he did it perfectly. But that's not all. That's not the only reason he had to be man. Jesus had to be able to die. The sacrifice, this was set all the way from the Old Testament when, when there was the, the sacrificial system that God gave to the Jews. said, you're going to sin, but here's what I'm going to do. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the sacrificial system was put up all pointing toward Jesus. But if Jesus was not human, he couldn't shed blood. He couldn't die. So there would be no forgiveness of sins because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus had to be able to die. This is an important point. Jesus never ceased being God when he took on flesh. You know, sometimes we think when he, when he became a man, he stopped being God. Not at all. And from that point on, Jesus will never cease to be fully human. So Jesus didn't step out of divinity and take on humanity and then die and raise again and go back to deity and set aside humanity. He is still fully human. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus existed from forever, but in a point in time, he entered humanity. At a point in time, he took on flesh, and from that point on, never again will he cease being fully human. So what's that look like? Here's the really deep theological term if you really like to sound smart. It's the hypostatic union. Really weird word. But, but that's the word they came up with to go, he's fully God and fully man at the same time, always. I don't get it. <laughs> Do you? It's one of those very difficult things to understand. Paul in Philippians, I think, describes it well. 
Philippians 2, 6 through 8, he wrote this, referring to Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was obedient by taking on frail humanity. But again, he didn't cease to be God. It says there in those verses that he's being in the very nature God. What that means is everything that God is, Jesus is to the last iota. But he limited himself by taking on that body that could be sick, that could die, that could be tempted. One being in three persons. So this is foundational to Christianity is the idea of the Trinity. And uh, as you read through scripture, you, you may argue as some have the word Trinity never appears in scripture and it doesn't. But you see Jesus referred to as God very clearly. You see the Holy Spirit referred to as God and you see God the Father referred to as God. So this is central to what we believe and it's central to really this story of, of the birth of Jesus, of God becoming a man. And so I want to try and give us a little picture. Here, here this egg. This is an egg. Sydney, see the egg? It's an egg. And here, if you're making uh, eggnog, you're going to need this skill. You, you've got... <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> so, and other things, if you want to make meringue, you really have to separate the, the white from the yolk, and that's how you do it. You're welcome. That was free. Okay. Is the egg in this cup? No. This is the egg white. Is this egg? It is. Is the white the yolk? No. Is the yolk egg? Is, is the yolk the white? But are they both egg? Okay. What's this? A shell. Is this an egg? Is, is the shell, you can eat the shell. Try it later. <laughs> it's good for you. It's good for the digestion. Anyway, shell is egg, but is the shell the yolk? Is the shell the white? Is the white the shell? No. Is the white the yolk? No. Are they all the egg? Yes. They're all the eggs. <laughs> so it's, it's all egg, yet three. Now, this is so far from being a perfect illustration. <laughs> because the white can be white while not being shell, but yet Jesus is fully God all at the same time. Here's, here's another one, water. What's water made of? Water. What? H2O. H2O. That's right. Hydrogen to oxygen or the other way. I'm not sure. I'm no chemist. But there's water. Water can be expressed in three different ways. Steam, liquid, or a solid. Ice, steam, water. Again, that's not a perfect picture either because when water is ice, it's not steam. But yet when God is the Son, God is also the Father all at the same time. So if I have served to confuse you, you're welcome. <laughs> My point is God is mystery. And this picture of God becoming flesh is beautiful, life-changing, history-changing, earth-shaking, 
and we don't fully understand it, and that's okay. But this is what the Bible teaches, and this is what we believe. The early church wrote the Nicene Creed, and here's what they said in that creed that they put out to the church saying, this, here's how we're going to say what we believe. And we believe, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Will be so forever. So Jesus died and rose from the dead in a new body. Here's what's cool about that. As Jesus is now, so we are going to be. We're going to have a body like his. In 1 John, he writes, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be, what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Jesus is often called the firstborn of all creation. He was made new in that new body that we will have. So we will exist with him for eternity in a body like his. But yet we won't be God and he will be God. Why? Why? Why did he do all this? Why did God take on flesh? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus had to be God for this to take place. Jesus had to be human for this to take place. And this is the miracle of the Christmas story, of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And what's the response to this truth? Of God entering history, of God taking on flesh, of God dwelling among us for 33 years or so until he died and rose again for forgiveness of our sins. What's our response? In the book of Luke, when we see the birth of Jesus, there's the shepherds on the hill. And an angel appears to the shepherds and he tells them what just happened. He said, Christ the Lord has been born. You will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And then what happened? In Luke 12, or Luke 2, 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. These angels appeared crying out, glory to God. Alleluia, alleluia. I am praying that that's our response to this Christmas story. That we will be overwhelmed by Jesus. That we will be overwhelmed by God, his love and the truth of what he did entering into humanity. And we will celebrate, we will cry out, alleluia. Not just this morning, although this morning. We're going to continue to sing and worship. But throughout this season, take the time to be still and know that God is God. Take the time to think and dwell and glorify God for what he has done for us. Don't let the story just be a tradition because this is true. And if you're in here this morning and for you this has always just been tradition or myth or legend, I'm here to tell you this is true. And it's this truth that will give you life. It says that Jesus is the light He is the light and the life. 
He will give you life now and life eternally. We're going to talk more about that next week as we look at the gift of salvation. But we're going to transition here. And we're going to do Advent. Advent is a, a tradition. But it's a tradition that helps remind us of what God has done. It's a way for us to worship together. And so we have a, a young family that's going to come up and do the Advent reading. <laughs> but let's take this time to listen to the prayers, listen to the reading that Jared and Alyssa are going to do, and let's worship in response. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we remember you, as we celebrate Advent with this reading and these prayers, as we then continue to worship in song, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to save us. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us life. We love you, and we are now going to respond in worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Advent is a season that helps us to prepare for the coming of Christ at Christmas. As we read the Bible and light a candle, may excitement for Christ's coming burn in our hearts. I'm going to read a passage from Zephaniah chapter 3, 14 through 20. It says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in and at that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So we we light this candle because, like God's people centuries ago, we know that God has come in Christ and that Christ will come again. We rejoice in God's work in history and in the future. The pink color means joy. All right, let us pray. Dear God, as we light this candle, we rejoice. We know how the first act of the story ended with the birth of Jesus the Messiah, and we know that he will come again. So even though the story isn't over, we rejoice in our hope. We wait for you rejoicing. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 